Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. This is your first time joining us. Hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. We fill out that short form online for us. Ask some way of saying thank you. We're going to donate $5 to one of the prophets that's listed. We're in the middle of our teaching series that's focused on the family, and we're unpacking the question, how can we build strong, healthy, stable families? 70% of Americans long for stability in their family above anything and everything else. So how do you achieve that? Well, you have to put Christ at the center. In fact, our theme verse comes from Psalm 127, defines this pretty well. Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. We need God to build our families or else we risk becoming another statistic, another number of families struggling to be strong and healthy and stable. And the topic we're going to cover today is vitally important to building healthy families. I do want to give you a heads up though for any parents. You may want to screen this message first before you let your kids watch or listen to it. The topic of gender and sexuality is white hot in our culture right now. It's been at the forefront for the last several years, but I think in the last couple years, 2020, 2021, it's really gotten kind of crazy. And at one point, we wouldn't even be talking about this topic in churches, especially in a series on the family. But I think that's also a mistake. You know, certainly we have to talk about it now, but I think it was a mistake to not talk about this enough in the past. Because the reality is that, you know, your kids are discovering that their friends are attracted to same-sex folks. They're hanging out with cousins who identify with one gender and might want to undergo a change. And if your kids aren't experiencing this yet within their own personal relationships, they're being exposed to it by the culture in a myriad of different ways and places. So have you thought about how they're going to handle all of this? Have you thought about how you'll explain to them you know, that they like, you know, their uncle's gay or the neighbor is a a trans woman. And and if your only thought has been, well, I'll just, you know, say it's wrong and we don't do that and God's against it, then you haven't thought deeply enough about this. So this teaching today is is one of the most important teachings we're going to do this year. And I want to help equip you on how to have these discussions within your family because you're going to have them at some point or another. And this teaching, it's, it's going to challenge you. It's going to stretch you. It may make you uncomfortable. I think at some point, every person watching and listening is going to be upset or disagree with something that we're going to talk about to some extent because this is such a polarizing issue in our world right now. So I want to start by just being really honest about about my life, okay? So Shane and I, we have uh, family members who who are gay. We have friends who are gay. Uh, I've seen the tension that it causes in families and how handling the situation incorrectly can destroy lifelong relationships that should never have ended. So we're going to handle this by sticking to God's word. We're not going to play politics or anything like that. We're going to stick to scripture. So let's start with the basic premise uh, I think all of us can agree on. We want everyone in our families to know Christ, right? We all want that. 
We want people to be set free from addictions and abuse and all the snares darkness sets for them. We would all say we want people who are struggling with their sexual identity to know who they are in Christ, right? So why do we struggle then so much with this topic? Well, I think it's because we don't really know the right response. We don't know where to start. And so we either condemn a person to hell or we show so much grace that we excuse the sin to a fault. And so often we don't really know what to do. And there's this tension within us. And we, we want to show grace and compassion and love. But we also want to stand in God's truth, right? We want to do both these things without breaking the tension and giving it to one extreme over the other. That's really the goal here. So whenever you encounter that tension, resist the temptation to go all in with one particular side, grace or truth or whatever. Instead, look for how you can keep that tension in place. Because that tension between grace and truth, man, that dealing with folks in sin, that's important. Let's resist the urge to be all grace or all truth. Christ was both. He came with both grace and truth. We need to do the same. So let's start right here with the truth grounded in God's design. Everything we want to know about human sexuality is based on God's original design. And that's found in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. In the first two chapters, we get a big picture and a small picture of what this design for human sexuality is like. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and all the animals that scurry along on the ground. Here's some truth today, okay? Every person is created in God's image. That needs to sink in. Each and every person is created in God's image. You are His. His fingerprints are all over you. He truly, deeply loves and values you regardless of who you are. In this big picture view of humanity, it affirms this truth for every single person. But there's more to this big picture. God gives humanity two directives, rule over creation and reproduce. In the next chapter, we're going to see a smaller, more detailed picture of humanity take shape. So what happens here is the first man, Adam, uh, he He's a microcosm of God's design for human sexuality. Every creature, even the plants, are made with the ability to reproduce with similar yet anatomically different partners. Every creature, except for man. So by himself, Adam can't fulfill the purpose that God created for him. He can rule over creation alone. No, he can't do that, right? It's impossible for him to reproduce. So God creates a partner for him who can not only help him rule over creation, but also help humanity reproduce and multiply. And so God takes a rib from Adam and creates a woman who we later learn is Eve. Look at Genesis 2, verse 23. At last, the man exclaimed, This is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. So Eve is like Adam in that she's human, but she's different in that she is a woman. Now listen to me because this is very important. Eve is not just different anatomically for the sake of reproduction. She's different because in the physical act of sex, there's existing a, a, a symbolic spiritual union of God and humanity. God's design is for a man and woman to connect physically so that what was once originally one union can come together again. That's actually what Genesis 2.24 talks about. That's what marriage relationships symbolizes. So the truth about sexuality, which we really can't 
give any ground on here is that God's design was for two genders to come together as one. Multiplication or reproduction. That's the result of that unification. God produces this union physically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually between a man and a woman. Let me pause for a moment and just speak to the differences in gender. I, I just mentioned how we're, we're different, right? And God intentionally created men and women to be different on a multitude of levels. It doesn't mean men are superior. It doesn't mean you can't have women working as engineers or CEOs or whatever. It means that at our natural core, if who we are as created beings, we are built differently. It's not a bad thing. It's not an oppressive thing. It is factual. He made us different and he called what he made good. It's very important. So God's picture for sexuality, and specifically for marriage, okay, was for it to reflect the relationship that we have with him through Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. That's Paul quoting Genesis 2.24 we just talked about. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So God's design for men and women to come together, especially in marriage, was for them to reflect the spiritual union of Christ and what he has with the church. Two very different but complementary entities. The church is not the same as Christ. He's not the same as the church. God's design from the outset of creation for humanity was for men and women to reproduce and in a marital relationship with him at the center, okay? And that's, that's going to symbolize our spiritual union that we have with the Lord, okay? God's design features two genders coming together as one to make this multiplication and union possible. Our culture today categorizes somewhere around like 90 different gender variations. God created only two. I can't reconcile any more than two, all right? If he meant for there to be more, he would have made more. The advent of multiple genders on this level is, is really nothing brand new. There's always been an enemy seeking to stop what God has created from the very beginning and all that God had called good. He knows if he can prevent the spiritual union from taking place, he not only you know, mars what God's designed, but he prevents that second directive that God gave from happening. That directive is multiplication. See, not only does every person, you know, has every person been made in God's image, but every person has God-given potential. We're given this potential before we've even been conceived. Listen to what God tells a prophet named Jeremiah in the Old Testament. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now watch this. That, that, that potential it's only unleashed through multiplication. So for example, it, it, it's released when we multiply spiritually, creating new followers in Christ. When we form a relationship with somebody and lead them to Christ, spiritual gifts, potential, okay, is released. But potential is also released when we multiply physically. The enemy has tried to stamp this out, by the way, from the very beginning. One of his goals is to stop God's design of intimacy which stops multiplication. If multiplication is prevented, then the potential that God has embedded in each person is stopped in its tracks. Like, you think abortion's a political issue? Oh no, it's a spiritual issue, where the enemy's trying to stamp out potential before it's ever birthed. Many of the sexual identity issues we grapple with today are some of the ways 
The enemy tries to destroy multiplication before God-given potential is unleashed. And so the struggle with sexuality is a spiritual struggle between a God who wants to create life and a devil who wants to destroy it. Now I want to make something really clear, uh, as clear as I can, that it's the enemy at work because too often in the church we've made the enemy out to be people. Right? Especially those struggling with sexual issues. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. The real enemy is, is not your nephew who identifies as a woman or your daughter's best friend who's just come out, right? Like that's not the real enemy. The real enemy is a real devil who wants to destroy everything God's touched. So one of the reasons I think the church has struggled to address this issue of sexuality, especially in our culture today, is because we, we've really forgotten that, right? Like we see the enemy at work in people and we treat the person or group of folks as, as the culprit, as if that's who we should be fighting. Instead of praying, we're protesting and boycotting. Instead of engaging in spiritual warfare, we attack individuals and entire groups of people. We put scarlet letters on those who struggle with their sexuality while failing to admit that the vast majority of this nation is actually heterosexual, right? So, so like, where do you think most of the sexual sin is occurring? Let's not choose a new leper. The enemy isn't a group of people. We have a common enemy who goes by a lot of names. Accuser, father of lies, Satan. He's the one we're actually fighting. And it's important we understand that God's original design for sexuality, what that entails, that every person is made in His image, right? That every person has within them God-given potential unleashed through multiplication. That's why the enemy tries so hard to stop it. Now that's a lot of truth I just kind of threw at you, but let's, let's go in the direction of grace here for a little bit. The passage we're looking at in a moment may not seem like one filled with grace, but, but just, just hang with me, because this passage is also one of the most misunderstood pieces of Scripture on the topic of sexuality. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start in verse number 9. It's been used by a lot of people to argue for or against their particular position on sexuality, but is that what's really happening in the context? So Paul says, he's the author of the letter to the Corinthians. Paul says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, a lot's been said on this passage, especially the original Greek that it was written in during the first century. And I want to clear some things up. So, so first, homosexuality, it is actually explicitly addressed. Paul uses two different Greek words to describe both the passive and active male homosexual partners in the passage, okay? But he also uses the, the, the word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography from. And it refers to anything sexually immoral outside of heterosexual marriage. It's the same word that Jesus will use in Mark chapter 7 when he speaks about what corrupts a person from within. Mark 7 verse number 20. And then he, this is Jesus here speaking, said it's, it comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, 
out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they're what defile you. Remember that, that potential that God has embedded in each one of us, right? So sin corrupts that, and it destroys us from the inside out. Sexual sin is on the same level as abuse and alcoholism and idolatry and lying and every other sin you want to throw out there. Sexual sin requires the same remedy every other sin does, God's forgiveness, which leads me to a very important fact we cannot forget. Every person needs God's redemption. Every person needs God's redemption. It doesn't matter whether they struggle with who they are. As followers of Christ, it's our job to affirm the value each person has as someone created in God's image. But we cannot affirm the sin, regardless of what that sin is. It's not our prerogative to place judgment on somebody either. Our job is to show grace, to lead and connect folks to Christ, because it's the power of Christ which can change and set a person free. The same God who broke the curse of alcoholism is the same one who can free someone from sexual sin. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you're, but you're cleansed. You're made holy. You're made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So earlier we read that all the behaviors and lifestyles that Paul kind of mentioned is, you know, a sin in that, in, in that passage. And, it, and people tend, tend to stop like right there. They read about the sin and they kind of point fingers. Few keep reading to the next verse that we just read where Paul says, some of you were once like that. That is until they had an encounter with Christ. Why? Well, because Jesus changes everything. That's why. You know, everything in our culture right now, it's just so sexualized to the point that sexuality is turned into an identity. But what you need to know today is that your identity is so much more than your sexuality. If you have family who are struggling with their sexuality, they need to know that their identity is found in their creator and the one who embedded supernatural and God-given potential inside of them from the moment they were conceived. They need to know that they're created in God's image with his fingerprints all over them. And they need to know, like the rest of us, that they need God's redemption in their lives too. We've spent most of our time here today dealing with the issue of sexuality, right, and the struggle with sexuality. But as we close out, I want to address uh, those of you who might be struggling with your own sexuality here today. First, I want you to know this. Temptation is not a sin. It's not the same thing as sin. So if you experience temptation of same-sex attraction, of changing your gender, all those types of things, that's not sin. But it does become sin when you act on those temptations. So if you find yourself struggling with sexuality, I want to encourage you, man, speak with me or somebody who can help you overcome those temptations and defeat them. Second, I want to apologize for those of you or those in your family uh, who've been treated by the church in a very negative way. The church has not always done a great job showing love and grace and compassion to folks who struggle with sexuality. In fact, you, you've, you've been told like you're the reason for natural disasters. You've been protested against. You've been turned away at the door in some places. The church has just not adequately dealt with this topic because in all honesty, we either don't want to talk about it or we don't really know how to talk about it. But I'm glad to be part of a church like Radiant that's inclusive. See, at Radiant, we welcome people of, of just all backgrounds, all kinds of issues. If you're struggling with your sexuality, you are welcome here. 
I think we've made it pretty clear where we stand on, on this issue. Like anything outside of God's design is not something we can condone. So I can't okay your lifestyle. But I can tell you this, we will never turn you away from our church. And the reason for that is because we believe you matter to God. We believe every person matters to God. He values you and he loves you. And so does this church. And so do I. If your family has one or more members struggle with sexuality, can I just encourage you to lovingly and graciously guide them in Christ's truth? Parents, don't shy away from talking about this. Embrace it. If you don't, schools, entertainment, culture, they'll be the ones who get the first crack at explaining to your kids human sexuality. And that's not something I think you want to outsource to just anybody, right? We obviously couldn't cover everything in this one teaching on this one topic, and I think time went by way too quick. But if you have questions, reach out. Let's, let's walk through this together. I'd like to kind of end our time, if I can today, just by praying for those of you who are struggling with your sexuality and then praying for those of you who've encountered this issue within your own families because we want to you know we want to see God at work in your life. We want we want God to give you wisdom, give you compassion and the right words to say as you engage with people who are struggling with sexual sin with with sexuality, with gender issues, all those types of things that you can help lead them and guide them to the redemption they need in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for every person watching and listening here today. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now with sexuality. They're, they're struggling with same-sex attraction. They're struggling, God, with gender issues, with trans issues. Lord, I pray today that you would touch each and every individual who is dealing with that temptation. Maybe they're, they're past temptation, and that's the lifestyle that they're in, and they've embraced and engaged. God, I pray for your redemption to be at work. Would you remind them and let them know you created them and your image. That God, you have potential inside of them you want to unleash. They matter to you. They are valuable to you. But they need your redemption. They need your forgiveness. They need, God, you to, to, to bring about transformation and change. And, and I pray you're able to do that. For those who are on the fence about what to do, not sure who they are, Lord, I pray you would show them who they are in Christ, that they would bring alongside them the right people who can guide them in the right direction, I pray, and they would stand firm in their identity in you. God, I pray for those who have family who are struggling with sexuality right now, and they're not sure how to handle it, they're not sure how to talk about it, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they have started to handle it, but they've done it the wrong way, right? They've, they've driven people away. They've, they've severed relationships. God, I pray first, if that's the case, for forgiveness. I pray for grace and reconciliation to take place. But I pray, Lord, you give these folks the wisdom on what to say and how to say the right things. I pray, Lord, you would help them to have this, this tension of grace and truth be lived out in their lives, where we, we show love and compassion and grace because that's who you are, but we also can't condone a lifestyle that's different from your design because that's just the truth. And I, and I pray that we're able to walk in that, that God, they're able to walk and live that out. As they do that, I pray, Lord, that they are given opportunities to bring those who are struggling with their sexuality into relationship with you. And may those who are struggling say yes to you and those families. I pray you would heal relationships, and I pray, God, you would heal brokenness, and I pray, God, you would bring families back together 
Lord, thank you for what you're going to be doing. Thank you for the work that you've already started. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.